Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, and I'm really looking forward uh, to uh, continuing our discussion of banking commissions. Yes, yes where last we left Mr. Pecora standing um, <laughs> over the over the crushed bodies of his enemies. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that's not how that was, but I like <laughs> to think of it that way. But before we before we get into that, we want to thank one of our listeners, um, Suzanne Caro, found for us in Hathi Trust the copy of the Schaefer Report. And oh. so, yeah, so now people can see it and read it um, in the thanks to the University of California, which digitized it. And so it's out there in the world. And we've put that link on the research guide. So if you're looking for the Schaefer report and you don't want to get it from one of the drug organizations, you can get it from Hathi Trust. Hathi Trust is sort of. And for anybody who doesn't know, it's kind of an academic repository, and some of it's free and some of it's pay for. And this particular instance, it's free. So thank you, Suzanne, and at um, in North Dakota at North North Dakota State University. She's a fantastic librarian. So yay! Uh, yeah, and uh, she's been a faithful listener um, since uh, uh, we commenced uh, this podcast, and in in in. And again, rather excellent timing in regards to uh, that particular podcast episode, uh, because, you know, um, there was, you know, a, 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 it's not a national day, but this, this week, okay. <laughs> of celebration. Yes, okay. It came out on the day of 420, which is, there are a thousand, um, like, legends about how that started right stoners got out of school at 420 and started you know smoking yes. all these kinds of things nobody really knows they can they can say they know but nobody knows for sure um but we did all i know is my that came out on that day my social media uh, uh feeds okay were just chock full <laughs> of various and sundry memes okay about uh, 420 and, and for listeners, uh, we're actually recording this episode a couple of days after that. But nevertheless, I was just like, oh my goodness, I did not know so many of my friends were so interested in that particular culture. <laughs> well, I, 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 I never saw so many references to Cheech and Chong. Ah. that way right <laughs> okay. oh my goodness who are these sort of original well not original but they are the probably best known stoners on in media at least from yes. the from the 70s and 80s um, also suzanne sent us a, a wonderful piece of embroidery with arbitrary and capricious which as we know is my personal motto and theme um, uh yes uh and and and, and again uh and I've actually received this request from a couple of my students who are also faithful podcast listeners. Um, uh, Nia, they do want to know uh, when are we going to come out with our uh, merchandise line of <laughs> arbitrary and capricious? Uh, <laughs> because I've, we've joked about it in a number of, of episodes. We right? have. <laughs> uh, and sad to say that I don't think at this point either of our bosses would support us monetizing this, yes. this podcast but you know if we get up to what is what is it a million listeners that's what they always say right? like it, yeah then we would probably do something like that i don't see us i don't see us having that kind of reach but you never know i i kind of sort of we invite you to make your own artwork and like write arbitrary and capricious in fabulous glitter paint on a shirt and wear it around and then when people ask you they're inviting you to talk to them about administrative law so yes uh, the administrative procedures act um and um it's stern admonition okay <laughs> that bureaucrats should not engage in arbitrary and capricious behavior <laughs> and neither should librarians really but i do so <laughs> um i'll just be honest okay so where we left off where we left off with mr 
Pecora, we're now moving into sort of the Eisenhower realm in the 1950s. And you're going to say to yourself, but wait, there was not a financial crisis in the 1950s. And we are going to say to you, right. Isn't that nice? (laughs) (laughs) It's nice that there wasn't one. So this, what I love about this commission report is that one, it was written by approximately 474,000 people. Like it was just, it, there were a lot of people who were involved in this report. Although the chairman was. Uh, what, Donald David, right? Right, Donald David. Yep, yep. Uh, and he was the chair of the Committee for Economic Development um, in an iteration of that organization, still exists today. Um, but uh, what is fascinating uh, by the way, the, the official name uh, of this uh, was the Commission on Money and Credit, right? Um, in, in listeners, you probably picked up on a theme. The, the commission names about banking, okay, are not all that interesting or sexy, right? Okay, no. we have the Commission on Money and Credit, okay? Uh, commence um, uh, sleep immediately. Exactly. Um, but the for, original one was the National Monetary Commission. Yeah, right. But for me and I, what's fascinating about this particular commission is that it was not in response to a banking crisis, right? This was an effort to go ahead and say, okay, we're a couple decades beyond the Great Depression, right? We're a couple decade, you know, we're uh, a couple decades beyond some fundamental changes to the American federal government and the way, you know, we deal with, um, you know, uh, Wall Street banking, investment banking, etc. How are things going, right? right? Which for me and I, we wish that actually occurred. On a more regular basis. Yes. Right? This is this is where when a volcanologist puts those little things all around the, the land to just kind of keep an ear out for rumble, 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 rumble. Because if you know it's coming, you might be able to mitigate it or save lives or get people out of the way or whatever, right? Like this thing in Iceland where people are cooking hot dogs on the side of the volcano because they know, they know it's under control. They're, they're, they know what's happening. That I seems mean, like the, a really good idea, especially with our monetary system. And yet- I mean, you know, analogy, an analogy that I like, Nia, is that, I don't know about you, but before I go on a long road trip, uh, an auto, a long automobile road trip, I, I take my car in, okay, right. to get a tune-up, right? Right. You know, I get the fluids checked, right? Do I have enough windshield wiper fluid? How's the oil look? How's the air pressure? Uh, belts seem to be in good shape, okay? Right. Um, uh, and, you know, there could be nothing wrong that I noticed in driving my automobile on a daily basis. But if I know I'm going to embark on something, okay, that, you know, you know, might put some pressure on my automobile, I just go ahead and get it checked, right? Right. Just to go ahead and see, hey, is everything looking okay? Um, is this going to operate well? Am I going to have to, you know, on the side of the road? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, am I going to have to walk half a mile to the next exit to try to find somebody to come tow my car somewhere and fix it? Yeah. yeah am I going to have to, you know, call my insurance company where I have, you know, roadside assistance, okay, <laughs> and explain how, you know, I was not a good car owner. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And, and it, it's insurance, right? It's just checking yes. to make sure how things how things are going. And, and what's fascinating to me in part is that this, is, um, this was established by President Eisenhower, right? So you have Eisenhower who's just sort of this very calm figure. And he was constantly low level worried about all kinds of stuff. Like he's the one who brings up the industrial, the military industrial complex as a thing to be worried about in the future. So he was kind of futuristically worried. I I guess he was just a fret, a fretter. 
well, the I mean, who just fretted. I mean, and this is one of this is one of the examples of 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 the value of having somebody with a former military background as president, because the military plans for everything, right? right. You know, right. you know, the, 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 you there's know, an invasion from Mars. We got a plan for that. <laughs> right. There's like there, it's great because you have contingency plans and then you have contingency plans for your contingency plans. And, you know, that's a well, it, 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 mindset me, to have. In Nia, you know this because you have your master's degree in Homeland Security. So many of the core concepts in Homeland Security and emergency preparedness are derived from, okay, historical military practices, right? Okay. Well, um, and preparation now means less panic tomorrow. It means that you'll be able to run your response more smoothly, right? Like there's lots of reasons to, to plan ahead. We, it, what I think is great about this particular report is that it has 77 recommendations. Oh yeah, like, it, co it covers everything. Oh, it's like, and if the chairman should breathe out of the left nostril, then perhaps he should <laughs> yeah. blah, 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 blah. I mean, it gets down into the weeds, but it, but it's not anything huge. It's not anything like, oh, and we think that you should get rid of the Federal Reserve System, right? Like, or anything, it's not anything like that. It's just these over and over and over, these little recommendations. And I think one of the reason it has so many recommendations is because there were 98 papers written yes. to this commission by various um, uh, academics and government officials and all those other kinds of folks, business officials, all kinds of people wrote things. So I think they just were like, okay, what does that report recommend? Let's stick it in here somewhere. And it reminded me a lot at least in this way, of the Brownlow Commission. You had really smart people, okay, writing papers about what they knew, right? right? Um, and again, you know, the Brownlow Commission, okay, was quite small. It only had three members, right? <laughs> um, but this particular commission had many more members. But the basic idea was, and it's the last step of policy making. It's evaluation, right? right? And we don't do that enough, right? Um, you know, um, you know, it takes so much effort to get policy made, okay, in the United States that we've, you know, it's almost like we're exhausted after it gets adopted, <laughs> um, and the bureaucracy tries to implement it, and we're like. Okay, what's the next big problem we got to deal with? But this group went ahead and said, okay, we had some significant changes to the American banking system, um, investments, okay, Wall Street, et cetera, uh, the stock market. Um, how's it working? And, you know, in, the, in your notes, I mean, you pointed out um, they recommended some, you know, tweaks to the Federal, Revo or Federal Reserve Board membership. Um, uh, uh, they made, uh, and this is big for farmers, okay, uh, a federal insurance system for farms, okay. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, uh, and that's huge. Um, uh, without going into too many details about, you know, my life as, uh, as a young boy, but a couple of my family members were farmers, okay? Um, and one thing they always made sure uh, they paid um, was their premiums for the federal insurance system, right? Because it gave them coverage if we had uh, a bad harvest, okay? Um, or uh, an important piece of machinery, you know, crapped out and we had to get a new loan, you know, for it, okay? The federal insurance program um, you know, bailed us out. Okay. And that was important, right? The fact right. that we, you know, it, it took us until, you know, the, the early 1960s for that to happen, right? You know, for a country that was built on farming. Okay. <laughs> well, and it's fascinating to me that it, about that particular recommendation and some of the other recommendations is um, that that is 
that is post industrial revolution like that's this the recognition that oh farmers are becoming fewer and fewer and so they're more and more important right there's a there's well, yeah, reasons it, it, why the farm bill is a big thing every year and when it comes I mean, up the, for the capital and all investment that stuff yeah the capital investment now in regards to farming and it's one of the reasons why you see fewer family farms or fewer individual farms right the capital investment in farming today um, is so extensive, so significant um, that um, again, you need to be able to plan three, five, seven years out now in regards to farming. Right. Um, you just can't, you know, go ahead and say, "Oh, we had a bad year. Maybe next year will be better." No, if we have a bad year now in regards to, you know, for instance, the growing of soybeans, it's not just the United States that suffers it's other nations that rely upon us growing a particular crop. Um, and that's a lot like financial planning. Okay, that is financial planning, right? Well, uh, and we're going to get to something that's too big to fail in a minute. Yes. But some of the, one could argue that some of the farms in the United States are too big to fail. They're too big to be allowed to fail because of the, the impact that they have on the national food supply um and international food food supply supply. yeah 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 Yeah. and and by the way that's a really good segue mia um uh for uh our last commission that we're going to uh uh, discuss um regards to banking right okay um we have a couple other ones that we're going to you know touch upon in future episodes uh but the commission um uh, the last uh, banking commission we're going to look at um and its actual uh, official name is the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, otherwise known as the NIA. Angelides Commission. Yes, I, I like how you say it. You say it with a, a particular amount of enthusiasm and there's like a lilt to it, right? <laughs> Angelides, like Angelides like Commission, yes. Uh, uh, but again, Careful not to fall asleep if you're listening to this episode driving, because that title, Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission, sounds like all the others, which is, this is about banking, and banking is boring. <laughs> and, and I'm going to just tell you what, from 2007 to 2009, banking was anything but boring. Oh, I mean, it, it, had, like, it had significant <laughs> policy impacts, not only domestically, but abroad. I mean, because we are talking about the global recession, okay, what economists refer to as the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009, okay? And there are some nation states that still have not recovered from this recession, okay? Now, the United United States, by and large, did, but nevertheless, okay, there are some nation states around the world okay, that are still dealing with the repercussions of the Great Recession. Yeah, Greece, we're really sorry about that. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but the way you said that, okay? Yeah, our bad. Uh, um, um, yeah, Gre- Greece's uh, economic system, and for that matter, government, okay, um, uh, will never be the same. Well, and I mean, they've had problems since yeah like okay prince philip bailed with his yeah. family in the 30s or whatever it was but um okay so let's talk so, about the recession before we get to the commission let's talk about the recession well particularly first for of our, all we'd yes. like to note that for 40 years we did have the savings and loan commission i mean the savings and loan banking issue but there was no commission yes so, like you get this gap where people fretted and they talked about money but they didn't really do anything and we didn't have another check-in like we had with the previous one where well, they were it, just it, it, in the it, water see what's going on and, and i'm glad you mentioned that nia because uh that kind of complacency um uh, uh, uh leads to uh what happened in the uh 1990s uh when the republican controlled congress but also a democratic president president bill clinton agreed to deregulate, okay, the banking industry. Right. Okay. Uh, And again, uh, listeners, if you listen to part one 
um, uh, of our discussion of banking commissions. Okay, when we talk about the PCORA investigation that resulted after the Great Depression, um, you know, Congress passed two laws, one of which, okay, um, what was it, Glass-Steagall, that put a wall, okay, between commercial banks and investment firms, okay? And, and we talked about this in the previous podcast episode. You know, one of the big issues um, that led to the Great Depression was the intermingling of commercial banks with investment banks. Investment banks, by and large, okay, are taking huge amounts of money and trying to decide what firms they want to invest in. Okay. Right. It's risk. It's, it's, it's risky. It's venturous. Yeah. I think it's often called venture capital, right? It's like this, yeah. this sort of, I don't know, maybe this Apple thing will really take off. Let's that's put right. some money into it. I, that's in, by the way, the movie Forrest Gump. Um, he accidentally invests in Apple at the very beginning, right? And yeah, so gets enormous but, amounts of money. But for every Apple, there's 9,000 investments that don't go anywhere and you lose your money. And that's extremely problematic in regards to commercial banks. Right. Because again, commercial banks are the backbone of the American banking system, right? Right. Because commercial banks are everything. Yeah. Commercial banks are taking people's savings and then using that money to recirculate into the economy to generate, you know, uh, the buying of homes, cars, okay, Um, uh, household appliances. Small business um, pay, like, right, because they they borrow money sometimes to make their payroll and stuff like that. Or, you know, small businesses that want to expand, right? Right. Okay, or, you know, home repairs, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things that commercial banks extend loans for, okay? Yeah, are. Boring yes. things that make the economy go. That's right. Okay. But in the 1990s, okay, <laughs> um, uh, 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 the, the, the federal government deregulated the banking industry. And guys, put this in context. We're not beating up on one political party or the other. They all De- did. Yes. Deregulation was the mantra of a number of, of consecutive presidents. From Jimmy Carter, okay, who deregulated the airline industry, okay, so, you know, many of the complaints you might have of the airline industry pre-pandemic, okay, well, it's due to the deregulation of the industry. The government doesn't regulate it as much, right? Right. I mean, Ronald Reagan ran for president saying, we're going to deregulate, we're going to make government smaller, right? You know, Bush 41, okay, um, didn't do all that much in regards to deregulation, but the Clinton administration signed off on deregulating the banking industry, okay? And guys, let's also be very clear here, okay? Banks, the banking industry, the investment industry, Wall Street, okay? Though they have historically donated huge amounts of money to politicians of both political parties, right? right? So there was, there was plenty of blame to go around, okay, as we moved into the new millennium. Because in the new millennium, what industry in particular, Nia, uh, just overheated? You remember? In the, well, the, the, in the 90s, it was the dot-com tech but then stuff. when we moved but into the, the new 2000s, millennium, it, it was probably would have been what stock and housing. Oh, right. Sorry. We get into yes. the whole mortgage. Give a mortgage to a person who's breathing because they'll be happy to own a home. Right. Ninja loans. No. No income. No job. Right. Ninja, yes. No income. No job. Right. Like, yeah. like, dude, but. Anybody could get a loan. Anybody could get a loan. Well, okay. okay. Sad, so, side note here, because 
you had had big bubbles where people made a lot of money. And so there was, there was a lot of money floating in the system. That's why people were feeling that sort of woohoo excitement about investment investments and housing and just all this money flowing in the system. Yeah, I mean, there are multiple reasons why we ended up with the Great Recession. I mean, we're just using the housing industry and what went on there as an example, right? Right, because it okay. was worse there than everywhere else. I mean, the the uh, the housing industry, there was, um, uh, uh, it was a boom period, right? Um, I mean, you had uh, uh, banks lending money to people, okay? who by almost all accounts were bad credit risks. Do many you think, these, sorry, many, do you think that that's because we have this dream of the sort of American home ownership? Oh yeah, it's part of the American the, dream. As right? the way that you will build wealth or have well, something to pass to your children or, or whatever. Oh, yeah, I mean, there were, there were, there were numerous presidents, okay, who, you know, strongly encouraged uh, the, the federal government's uh, 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 housing agencies, um, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, okay, to go ahead and loan monies, okay, um, you know, first-time home buyers, right? You know, we want to encourage them to buy homes. Um, and again, for, you know, our younger listeners, okay, you know, Congress for decades, okay, has tried to incentivize Americans to buy homes. It's part of the American dream, but it's also part of a view that if you buy a home, you will be more stable. Right. Okay, because you have this, this loan, okay, that you know, you've agreed to pay off for the next 20, 25, 30 years. So you're going to want um, a solid, consistent job. You're not going to engage in risky personal behavior because you can't pay off your mortgage if you're sitting in jail, right? Right. Okay. You you invest in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your city because you live there now. You you own a piece of that. That's right. Which encourages okay. your engagement in yes. so like it was theoretically going to improve civic engagement and and for some people it does um but then it got to the point where and it used to be that it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to get a mortgage you you had to jump through a fair number of hoops which is why you still had a lot of renters up until you get to the 2000s where people were like yeah i i just can't get a alone because they weren't making enough because their the employment wasn't stable enough whatever reason they were not seen as um as a good risk by the banks and then and then the banks began to engage in risky behavior right because what they would do is they would bundle these iffy problematic housing loans these mortgages they would bundle them together and then they would sell them to other banks. Okay. Right. Those are called subprime. Yes. Prime are, are borrowers that you know are going to be able to pay back because they have enough money. Subprime are okay. people below prime who may or may not be able to pay back. But, the, that these... bank, but at that point, the bank doesn't care because it's sold your mortgage to somebody else. Yes. And, and gotten and the... its money. And the purchaser of the mortgages of these subprime mortgages, okay, were told, okay, that many of these loans, many of these mortgages, were backed by the federal government. Right. Okay. So even if the borrower defaulted, the government would step in, okay, and pay off the owner of the mortgage. Right. Right. It became, as you know. <laughs> Michael Lewis, uh, uh, a well-known reporter, uh, who wrote a couple of books about this. It became a huge Ponzi scheme, okay? Right. It became a huge Ponzi scheme, right? Um, what else was going on, okay? Well, without that 
legal metaphorical wall between investment banks and commercial banks, you then had the creation of companies that were too big to fail. Okay. Well, you had you insurance companies. <laughs> you had insurance companies. Okay, that were taking their customers, their clients' premiums, and then investing them. Okay, into firms. Okay, or you know subprime. You know commercial loans. Okay, um, and when those investments didn't pay off, all of a sudden you now had insurance companies who didn't have the capital to pay off on their customers who are like, uh, well, you know, granddad just died and uh, he had a life insurance policy with your company. Where's our money? Right. Okay. Right. And, you start and to see crumbling in parts of the monetary system that were never involved in it before. That's right. That's part of what, what's what kept hank paulson up at night hank paulson was secretary of the treasury at this point yeah for bush 43 yeah and and he you know it, what he he's laying in bed going oh my gosh how deep does this go right yes. because all of a sudden you get these firms who say well yeah we have some money in in mortgages and we have some money in this and we have some money in that and now if there's the collapse of one of these huge firms it's like a black hole. It'll suck everybody in around it. And the rest of the world was yelling, fix it! <laughs> because the world now is so interglobally related yeah, that a, lot a of firm that fails here trashes the economy in Germany or, you know, or Thailand or wherever. Yeah, because you had banks, for instance, in the United States and Germany that were loaning money to banks in Iceland, in Ireland, in Portugal, Spain, okay? And when those countries accumulated a whole bunch of bad loans, okay, the German and American banks are like, where's our money? Right. Okay? And those countries' banks were like, yeah, sorry, dude. Okay. <laughs> we can give you pennies on the dollar. Yeah, right? We can give you um uh you know mcmansions built in ireland okay that are so far underwater okay they're not worth a dime but you can go ahead and have them because right. that's where that's that's for what we loan the money right right okay um and, and by uh, the way all of that was loaned almost all of that was loaned in dollars yes because the lingua franca in the banking system in the world currently at least is the american dollar yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's what's traded. Uh, that may not always be the case. The euro has attempted to change that. So has the yen. Currently, it's still the dollar. Dollar. And then it led until governments... we make like the Roman Empire and completely fail, and then at that point, our our dollars will be worthless. But well, on that happy note, Nia, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> but it posed difficult decisions for governments around the world, but in right. the United States in particular, you had two consecutive presidential administrations, first Bush 43, and then the Obama administration, okay, um, who were basically left with, if we don't do something, if we don't bail out these industries, a whole bunch of American workers are gonna lose their jobs. Right. Okay. And the carry-on effect of that is a Great Depression. That's a Great Depression, right? Because once people don't have money, they can't pay their, they can't pay their rent or mortgage. They can't feed themselves or their families, right? Like the, it's a it's a tumbling effect. And when that you know people, puts people are unemployed, into homelessness and all, yeah, all sorts and when of people are unemployed, okay, they don't have as much money to spend, which means they're not circulating money to generate economic activity in other industries. Which means those people lose their jobs. Their jobs, right? Right. So it's contagious. It's contagious. So on the other hand, if those presidential administrations bailed out these two big to fail companies, then they get criticized 
we're creating morally hazardous conditions. Right. And in, in, in economics, a moral hazard is you don't have to pay for the bad consequences of your actions. Right. So right. one of the criticisms of both the, the Bush and Obama administrations is that they never prosecuted any of the CEOs of any of these companies, okay, that engaged in all this risky behavior, okay, that led to a global recession. Yeah, that's my biggest complaint. Okay. I have many complaints of, of a variety of things, not just yeah. this. Um, but that's my no, biggest complaint. <laughs> no. Um, but that's my biggest complaint about this is that no one went to jail. Well, that's not true. A few low-level folks went to jail, but no one who should have gone to jail went to jail. None of the big, the really big players, the the Jamie Diamonds and the, you know, those guys, none of them. And they should have. Some of them should have. Um, but also, they... If I'm not, I'm, and I could have this wrong, so please do correct me, Augie, if I if I do have it wrong. But they let Bear Stearns fail. Yeah, they let they 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 let a couple firms fail. They they basically did a very quick and dirty cost benefit analysis. Okay, um, which firms can we let fail? Right. In which firms, if we give a whole bunch of government money. Um, and, and they basically loaned it on really good terms. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. You don't have to pay this back for a long time. And long, long time. Your interest rate and, is like 0.001% or something. And, you know, yeah, but they but, did. And, and in fairness to the federal government, they did get the money back. Oh, yeah. And they got the interest. Yeah. And, so and, 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 so and, and, the American and, people are not out the money. Well, uh, and I've, I've read various studies. I mean, the federal government made money on the bailouts <laughs> because they made it very clear to the firms that took bailout cash, okay? You got to do X, Y, and Z. So you couldn't lay off a whole bunch of your employees. You had to change your behavior, okay? Um, you actually had to follow Federal Reserve Board regulations in regards to uh, cash and capital management. Okay. Right. Um, and a lot of the firms were just like, you know, these conditions are unacceptable. And the federal government's basic response was, well, either you accept the terms or we let you fail. And oh, yeah, by the way, you know, we have the bigger soapbox, right? We will go ahead and call you guys out on a daily basis, okay, for your role in trashing the American and global economy. Well, and when you fail and you get broken up and eaten by the other companies, you will not get what you're worth. Like yes. they're going to they're going to see it as a fire sale and they're going to come in and say, "Sure, we'll give you 20 bucks for your for all of your mortgage holdings or whatever." Like it's going to be Yeah, Impulsion Impulsion was was pretty clear. He and played federal, some hardball with that. Yeah, and the federal government would be the auctioneer. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to go well for you. Okay. That's basically you know, when, what he said. Yeah. When your firm has to go ahead and be broken up and sold off, okay, to other firms, the federal government's going to go ahead and hold the auction, right? They're going to be saying, you know, hey, uh, uh, do I have a five? Do I have a 10? Do <laughs> I have a 15? Okay. We're yeah. the ones who are going to do it. Okay. And we're going to publicize it every day. Right. Okay. So many of the, you know, many of these too big to fail firms were just like, okay, fine, we'll go ahead and do this. And you're correct. Many of them repaid back, repaid the loans. Okay. Before they were due. I mean, you know, General Motors, for instance, you know, paid it off, I think like 10 years in advance. Right. Cause they were right. like, we want to get out from under, you know, the, the, the mantle that the federal government has dropped on our shoulders, okay? It, it, you know, it, 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 it was across the, uh, a number of industries, right? right? It wasn't just insurance and banking and investment banking, though those guys engaged 
in some of the most horrific morally hazardous behavior. I mean, they were counting on the government bailing them out and they didn't think they would ever get into trouble. And they were making money hand, hand over, over fist. fist. They were right? just rolling in money. I mean, which this is, is another a- reason that sometimes people make bad decisions is because it feels like it's never going to stop. It's never going to go bad. That's what we saw in the 20s with the Great Depression, right? People with the whole with the whole stock market thought it would only go up. It would only keep getting better. And that's what people were told about their mortgages. Your home is only going to go up in value. But the problem with markets is that they overheat. And so... And then they got to, then they cool down. Right. When they, they have to back, realign. And when yes, they do, this thing that you paid $500,000 for is worth $300,000. And now you owe that $200,000 that's just gone value wise. Yeah. And, and, and what Nia is describing is uh, uh, when you have a, a, a home mortgage, okay, um, you know, as far as the bank is concerned, okay. Um, uh, if the value of your home and your property does not increase, well, too darn bad, okay? You still owe the bank what you agreed to pay on the mortgage. Right. Okay, and if the bank loans you $500,000 and eight years later, your home, okay, is valued at $300,000, well, kind of sort of stinks to be you. Right. Right? That's a market readjustment, sorry. Yeah, that's market readjustment. Okay, we're seeing um, some of that in Manhattan now, because oh. the prices there were unbelievably high, and now oh. they're starting. And so people who bought at really high prices are losing money because they bought two million dollar apartments that are now valued at a million and a half. And I know, for me at least, I'm like, okay, well, I have trouble feeling sorry for you if you still have a property worth one and a half million, but you just lost half a million dollars off the value it, it, of your property. Nia, you and I have talked about this um, uh, 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 off recording. Um, um, uh, when my ex-wife and I went to buy our first home, uh, I shared this anecdote with you. Um, we were getting pre- pre-approved for home mortgages, right? You know, we, you know, that's right. the thing that you do, right? You're thinking about yeah. buying a house. You go to the bank and say, how much house can I buy? Yeah, right. Okay. What will you loan me? And and, and again, I mean, at that point in our lives, we were both, you know, solid middle class professionals, right? Okay. Um, And we were being told that we were pre approved for, you know, $425,000. We were like, who in their right mind is going to loan us that much money, okay, to buy that much house, right? right? Okay. But if you're not, if you don't have very much experience with that, okay, then you're like, well, I too can afford a McMansion, right? Well, you think to yourself, and I think this is probably true of most people who got in trouble with these mortgages, the bank wouldn't loan me money if they didn't think I could pay it. Yes. So somehow this is going to work out. And yes. that part, part of that is not being knowledgeable about the, the market and the mortgages and how banking works. And that's me. I'm not, I'm not knowledgeable about those things. So if the bank told me I could afford $420,000, I, I wouldn't do that because what am I going to do with a McMansion, right? But, but I could see myself doing that if they told me I could, because why would they set me up for failure? Yes. And, when, and, there, when there should be a part in your brain that goes ahead and says, okay, well, what if the value of my house and property does not increase? Right. Okay. You know, what if one or both of us loses our jobs? Can we still pay the mortgage? Right. And those are the I kinds of what, is... those are the kinds of what ifs when you're dreaming. Right. You don't consider Right. Like, like, exactly. You think big instead of thinking, okay, what can we afford on one of our salaries? Yes. Because then we know we'll be comfortable if we still both have jobs. And if we don't, we know we can eke by. Right. So, so 
so we get this crisis which basically the entire world tilted on its axis financially and and then because their congress congress said we ought to look into what happened yes we ought to have a fire alarm investigation of what went down <laughs> but because their congress now because we have recent Congress, they said, but it should be as partisan as possible. We should pick sides. We should have, what is it, uh, Nancy Pelosi and Harry Reid, who were the leaders of the House and Senate, um, each made three appointments. And then Minority Leader, House Minority Leader John Boehner and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell both made two appointments. Yes. So you have Democrats getting six and you have Republicans getting four. And because you have a divided Congress, what you get, which I think is personally kind of ridiculous, is you get a report and then you get two dissents. Yes. Like you can't have dissents. It's not a court case, except they did because they had, they had all four Republicans were like, yeah, we don't agree with the majority. And so three of them wrote one dissent and one of them wrote the other dissent. Yes. Uh, one 27 pages and one 93 pages, I think, or 98 pages. Anyway, something like that. But that's, it started with that division. Yes. And then, and then it goes forward with its recommendations. Yeah, so the majority report I'm talking about this again, Nia, you said it so well. I'm talking about this like I'm briefing a Supreme Court case. Right? Exactly. Okay. The majority opinion, <laughs> okay, basically went ahead and uh, 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 said that the financial crisis was avoidable. Okay. Uh, wide, widespread failures in regulation. And, and mind you, the, again, the majority report was basically written by those individuals appointed by the Democrats, okay? Right. Um, uh, you have this uh, really uh, 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 juicy quote uh, from the majority report. Excessive borrowing, risky investments, and lack of transparency put the financial system on course with crisis, right? Okay. Right, which by the way, all of those words, right? risky investment, lack of transparency, all of that is sexy language that means absolutely nothing. Yes. If you got that in a, in a paper. Yeah. From one right. of my students, I would be like, define, define, define. Exactly. Define okay. risky, define transparent, right? You know, what, what is excessive borrowing, right? right. I mean, because- How much is excessive? Yes, right. I mean, because again, as we, you know, we mentioned just a few moments ago, okay, you know, capitalism, okay, is predicated on, you know, people borrowing money, okay, to do good things, exactly. right? Exactly. That's the definition of capitalism. Right. So okay. some borrowing has to happen for there to be capitalism. That's right. Okay. You know, because, you know, Nia, if you didn't, you know, borrow money to buy a car, okay, then there are some people who work at an automobile manufacturing plant don't have a job. Right. And if they don't have a job, they can't pay their rent or mortgage or put food on the table. Okay. And, you know, they're not going to ball games and they're not going to movies and they're not, you know, going on vacation with their kids. Right. right? And one could argue that excessive in this instance may mean the difference between a honda and a ferrari yes but but you got to define this you stuff. need to define that right you can't just okay. say excessive i don't know it, it okay and, and then the two dissenting opinions <laughs> okay three of the republican appointees wrote a 27 page dissent that basically went ahead and talked about quote unquote bad events again in the margin, I would be like, okay, what's the meaning of bad events? Okay, but then they went ahead and said the main reason for uh, the recession in the United States was globalism. I'm like, okay, 
that horse has already left the barn, right? Well, okay. and we've had a global economy now for a hundred years and we didn't run it into the ground like we did. Okay. You know, that ship has left the port. Okay. Whatever other, you know, an, right. you know metaphor you want to use. <laughs> the train has left the station. Okay. To go ahead and say that, you know, it was globalization. Okay. So what, we're going to close our borders and we're right. going to engage in, you know, uh, 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 protectionism and nationalism in regards to the economy. Yeah. We're just going to be isolationist economy. Okay, the world's largest economy, okay, that basically generates so much economic activity around the world, okay, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and, you know, take a break for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Okay. We're going to shut our doors for a little while. We'll be back. Okay, and then the other dissent basically just went after uh, uh, federal government housing policies, right? right? I mean, just lambasted. uh, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, right? And again, that had such classist, racist overtones, right? Because well, without Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, okay, poor people, people of color, okay, people in rural areas would never get to buy homes, right? Right? Would never get to buy homes, right? Because without the federal government stepping in and saying, we will subsidize the loan, okay, a whole bunch of Americans basically will be renters the rest of their lives. Which, by the way, there are plenty of our economists who would say that that makes better sense financially. But there are a whole bunch of other economists who are like, no, okay, if Americans want to buy homes, okay, how does the government help them do that? The problem is, okay, if the loans in the first instance should have never been made, right. then the government shouldn't be backing them up. Right. Okay. You know, that's the government throwing bad walk, bad money after bad money. Okay. You know what, you know what the result of that is, Nia? Bad. Okay. <laughs> bad. Oh, oh, it's like algebra. Bad yeah. times bad equals Those bad. Two, two X bad. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're not going to get good at, good in that situation right well, well and what irritates me about this particular commission report is so most of our commissions have tried to solve a problem or answer a question but they've generally done it bipartisanly yes um you get some some partisanship in commissions but not a huge amount and then you get to this one and this report is clearly the majority is blaming Bush and the Republicans. Yes. Right? And all their whatever, whatever, whatever. And the Republican dissents are blaming the sort of free love Democrat, you know, liberal hippie. You know, government regulation is, you know, by default always good. And the Republican position is government deregulation or excuse me, government regulation by default is always bad. Hey guys, is there perhaps a middle ground? Nuance, right. And yes. no one here had any nuance. This was no. this report is starkly and clearly talking points for Republicans and talking points for Democrats. And Augie and I have no respect for that. That is yeah. not a solution that doesn't guide us into I, any kind of reasonable... Um, civil discourse going forward if you stake out a position at the beginning and you won't be moved from it then you don't belong on one of these commissions that's not that's yeah, not it, cool it, 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 yeah, I, you know i told you this um when we were preparing when i read the three reports coming from the angelitas commission i i, I thought that i was reading uh, 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 the party's national convention platforms for the next election, right? Right. I, w- I was just like, <laughs> okay, wait a minute here, guys. Okay. Can we not go ahead and at least go ahead, you know, uh, uh, agree that there were a number of reasons, okay, you know, that there could be consensus that, hey, a whole bunch of stuff went wrong, okay? And how do we go ahead and perhaps mitigate potential harm going forward? Well, okay. 
And the whole black and white idea of regulation is either good or bad. Bad, yeah. Maybe we need some regulation to keep companies from like ING from getting so big that they can't fail. But we also need to be aware that when there's too much regulation, it stifles the market, right? So, so, you know, can we talk balance here? Oh, no, 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 no. It, it is my way or the highway. You yeah. are either with me or you are dead to me. And I'm like, wow, that's not really any way to build a consensus of how to go forward or how to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Like the whole ever loving freaking point of these commissions Commission. is to say, how can we prevent this from happening again? We have functioning cerebellums. Can we perhaps use them, okay, to avoid something that more than likely will happen again unless we take steps, okay, to make a change? Exactly. Mitigate, right? I mean, disaster avoidance. Yeah, right. I mean, do we really, you know, you know, one part of one of the reports was just like, we should never make loans, okay, to uh, uh, individuals with bad credit histories. I'm like, oh, so we're just going to go ahead and relegate an entire section of the American population, okay, you will never buy a home. Right. That part of the American dream will never work for you. Well, how can we make it work for them, right? Right. Um, You know, um, uh, you know, uh, there was a, another part of the report in the majority report um, uh, about um, uh, 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 the failure of credit rating agencies, right? Okay. Does the federal government want to take on the responsibility of rating everybody's credit? No. Okay. Right. On the other hand, how can we make sure that those histories, those ratings, okay, are done in a transparent manner so that corrections can be made when there are mistakes, okay, and that they're not overutilized, right? Right. Okay, no, you know, not every loan should be based on a numerical score, okay, um, uh, uh, that is put together by some sort of algorithm, right? You know, I can't grade papers that way, right? You know, students ask me all the time, how is this going to be graded? And I'm like, well, guys, some of this is going to be subjective because you're going to want me to pay attention to what you are writing, right? So I may take that point into consideration. Hey, at least you attempted X, even if you didn't pull it off. If you want me to go ahead and use a rigorous grading metric, you failed at what you attempted. So sorry, you get an F, then you guys will never take a risk. Right. You'll never take, you know, you'll never, you know, you know, pick that challenging topic. Okay. You know, capitalism can't work that way. Right. We we want people to take risks, right? We want a Stephen Jobs to go ahead and say, yeah, screw this college education. I got an idea. I want Bill Gates to go ahead and take a risk, even though I go ahead and frequently yell at my computer because I'm using <laughs> Microsoft you know, products, right? Okay, he took a risk. Right. Okay. But how do we mitigate the risk, right? And how do we encourage honesty in the system and one of that is we hold people responsible and nobody was held responsible which is a personal frustration of mine and so my summation of this particular report is yeah that's how i feel about this report i don't know how you spell uh, that but yeah of all the commissions we've looked at um this was probably the most disappointing to me yeah on a number of levels right um you know, because we've looked at commission, we've looked at commission reports where the presidents who um, uh, um, who uh, 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 created them uh, created the commissions um, didn't like the results, so they basically just you know did act on them. But the commission did solid work. I can't right. say these folks did solid work. Okay, 
you know, the only kudo I could give the give to them is if you're a partisan, okay, well, there's something here for you. Okay. But if you're actually interested in making sure we don't have another great recession, okay, like the one we had in 2007 to 2009, this commission and the three reports ain't it. Right. Because it isn't going to tell us what we need to do. Okay. Yeah. I'm You'd sorry. You'd be better off watching one of the Netflix movies on this. Yeah, I would highly recommend uh, uh, The Big Short. <laughs> right. Ugh. Okay. So thank you, Augie. And we will, I guess, catch up with, I think we have one more in our series. Uh, yeah, we're going to take a look at the uh, Moynihan Commission on Government Secrecy. Woohoo. So look forward to that. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.